Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Welcome back, Crack fans, to another edition of the Cracked Interviews Podcast. I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. On today's show, we are joined by one of the rising stars in American men's tennis. Of course, if you follow our Cracked Rackets content closely, you know he recently captured the 2022 ITA All-American Men's Singles Championship. It was the first title match between two teammates since 1996. Of course, ultimately, it was UGA Redshirt freshman Ethan Quinn, who wins that signature title to kick off his redshirt freshman season and joins us on today's show to talk all about that and so much more. Of course, it hasn't just been college success of late for Quinn. No, this is a player who reached the finals of the USTA Boys 18s National Championships in Kalamazoo this summer, a guy who picked up a couple of pro circuit titles, whether it be in Southern California or elsewhere over the course of the past few few months as well. Again, when I call him a rising star in American men's tennis, I mean it across levels. Ethan Quinn just continues to deliver the goods. And I think after listening to this conversation, all of you listeners will understand why. It was such a pleasure to have the chance to speak with the rising redshirt freshman about what this past year has been like for him, this rapid development of success. How does he keep everything balanced? How does he maintain maintain focus off the court to help him sustain his focus when he is on it. And then, of course, had to ask him the big question. Why was redshirting last season the right decision for him? Clearly, the tennis was there. Uh, So it was fascinating to hear him answer that question and just discuss the process that has gone behind, uh, gone into, excuse me, all of the success that he has achieved. And again, I promise it's impossible to listen to this episode and think anything but ravingly about Ethan Quinn moving forward. So very much looking forward to sharing today's interview with all of you listeners. Of course, the reason we're able to do it day in, day out here on this show is because of the support we get from our friends at Swing Vision. Simply put, they're on the forefront of all artificial intelligence technology developments happening within the sport to learn more Click on the link in the description to this episode. Of course, when you sign up, use our promo code CRACK20. You'll get $20 off plus a free 14-day pro trial. You'll also let them know we sent you there, which we always appreciate. But enough of that. You came to hear from Ethan Quinn. So with that said, let's get to our conversation with the 2022 ITA All-American Men's Singles Champ. Hey, Crack fans. Before we get to today's show, I want to let all of you listeners know about the revolutionary work being done by our friends over at Swing Vision. Now, all of us as tennis players are constantly searching for that piece of information that's going to give us that one, two, three percent edge whenever we step onto the court. We want to know, am I hitting my forehand with enough depth? Am I accurately placing my backhands? Am I employing patterns on the court that are putting me in an optimum position to experience success? 
success. Thankfully, all of those questions can now be answered via the app produced by our friends at Swing Vision. Folks, it's extraordinarily simple. You're going to download the app. You're going to turn that app on your phone. You're going to put your phone on the back fence, the back curtain of whatever court you're playing on. You're going to hit record. And then using artificial intelligence, Swing Vision is going to break down your performance. If you click on the link that you find in the podcast description here on today's episode, you'll go right to the Swing Vision website. And of course, friends who use our Crack Rackets promo code CRACK20 are going to get an additional $20 discount and a free 14-day pro trial on the Swing Vision app. Again, you use that promo code CRACK20, $20 discount, as well as a free 14-day pro trial. How do you find the link? To get signed up, just go back to your podcast feed. It's in the podcast description of this episode. You go to the Swing Vision website, you set up your account, you download the app, you get rocking and rolling, get all the information, one location with our friends at Swing Vision. Joining us on the podcast for the first time today is a rising star in the American men's tennis community. Of course, someone our listeners will know best as the 2022 ITA All-American Men's Singles Champion, winner of a couple of Futures titles over the past year, and of course, a finalist at the 2022 Kalamazoo Boys 18 Singles event. Of course, we know him best as Ethan Quinn. Ethan, quite the resume, my friend, you've built up over the past year. Welcome to the show how are you doing today i'm i'm doing great just finished two midterms the last two days got some good scores so i'm i'm feeling incredible (laughs) yeah that's humbling that you go from the tennis court right to the classroom and uh you know i am curious for you how has it been balancing over the past year all the different things that you have been doing no no softballs we'll get right into it right off the way it's been a busy year for you how have you processed it all Um, it's, I actually feel like it's been kind of easy, honestly. Um, being in high school, I was in a full-time school. I wasn't, I wasn't online like most, most tennis players are, um, nowadays. Um, and my high school kind of prepared me for the college lifestyle where I'm traveling a lot, playing a bunch of tournaments, but still having to manage my school on the road. Um, so I feel like my transition was pretty easy, um, just on a bigger scale. Like I remember my first class I walked into, it was, 400 people in the class and my entire high school had 500. So (laughs) that was definitely something I had to get used to. Um, But besides that, I felt like I was able to transition into, into the college workouts and all that type of stuff, just based off what I was doing in high school. Um, 645 lifts. I was pretty used to Um, obviously I was not used to having to walk to the gym, but, uh, (laughs) but that, I came used to it. I mean, even though it was cold, I got used to it and was a lot of the times, even when the team was traveling, I was still going to the gym and doing that type of stuff. Um, cause I wasn't traveling last semester. It, it was just an easy transition. The guys made it really easy for me, honestly, giving me a lot of tips, just things to think about when traveling on the road or when I'm home, just making sure I manage my time efficiently. And then honestly, my coaches made it super easy as well. They made sure I had everything uh, all set for the week doing mentor mentoring with our with our academic advisors and that type of stuff so they really made it easy for me to transition as a 17 year old into college no obviously whatever was done has worked we've seen the results and it sounds like you're scoring well in the classroom also yeah, so the scholar sure. athlete really putting that term to work but you know 
a lot of things I want to unpack from that, and I appreciate the candid answer right off the bat. You did go to high school throughout the your junior career, and you know you made that decision to attend school. Why was that important to you, and how do you think that helped you during your development? Um, I felt like it was very important for me just having a life outside of tennis. Sure. Um, I mean, oftentimes you go to a tournament, and there's a lot of kids who I wouldn't say struggle, but there's definitely their main topic that they talk about is tennis and UTR and tennis recruiting and all who's getting what scholarships from where. And I found it very necessary for me to be able to have a life outside of tennis just so that I can kind of release myself from the sport, just allow myself to have a normal, normal life, even though I wasn't really living a normal life. Um, so getting to go to high school and spending time, I mean, I missed a lot of those types of events where you are a normal student. Um, but I felt like in the long run, getting to see people every day and talk about things outside of tennis was a lot more important than focusing five hours a day on tennis with lifts and then doing online school where I'm honestly probably not even learning that much. Um, so I felt like just like, yeah, doing high school was way more important for me in my development, just having a life outside. So I wasn't getting on court thinking, oh, like, gosh, I, all I know is tomorrow I'm gonna have another day to practice. Whereas when I was in high school, it was kind of like, all right, I'm having to make sure my two hours of practice are efficient and are, they're actually working because they're my only two hours a day. Whereas if I was doing five hours, it'd be, okay, I can kind of tank this session knowing I have another two hours in the afternoon. Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. And for you, you still did do some traveling. Obviously, you had the opportunity to play all the junior slams or maybe all of them but Australia during yeah, your junior yeah. career. And see, my memory was clicking in as we were going. It was all working, I promise, Ethan. Um, but, you know, that balance of maintaining a life outside of tennis and still not compromising your development – how was the travel? Did you feel like you got enough? You know, again, I'm I'm curious. This is all leading to that opening semester you choose to redshirt at Georgia. Why was that the process that was best for you? Um, just going with the traveling part first. Um, I felt like I traveled more than enough. I mean, I obviously I got to go to Europe and play the slams uh, last year. Like my first year of playing ITFs, I was able to play slams my first year. So that was pretty incredible. Um, and honestly, traveling... I, I, not most guys that I've, I've talked to, they travel around the world playing ITFs, just trying to do all that just to get into the slams. Whereas for me, I kind of had a unfamiliar route where I played two tournaments in California. I won one final, the other, and then went to Croatia and won that tournament. So it was really only three or four tournaments and I was into the slams and I was already playing on the biggest stage. So I felt like, although I didn't travel as far as some other guys, I felt like it was way better because it was just like, all right, I did my job. I got to the where you're supposed to go. And I didn't really have to worry about chasing points and doing all that type of stuff just because I know the tournaments I did win, those were the highest level tournaments. I mean, I played, I don't know, four guys inside the top 10 ITF at the time or something like that. Um, so that was that was good. And then well, just friend- just to stop you there, because and I appreciate you again you're better at answering questions than I am at asking them clearly (laughs) just to stop you at that travel part and to dive into the tennis there. You talk about that California run you had late March, 2021, where, you know, you have the two events back to back in San Diego. I don't even know what they're called now. It used to be the international spring championships and Easter bowl. I think one of them still the Easter bowl, but uh, I don't know what they call the first one anymore. You obviously you win the first, you know, you final the second three sets with Jerry. Um, 
you had been a 16s national champion. You had obviously been one of the top guys in your class going into that. That said, did you feel like something clicked in that run over those two weeks? And, you know, what do you, what did that run do in terms of your confidence in your level? Um, just going into the tournament, I had the mentality of more of just like, okay, hopefully I can win one round. Like it was a new, a new tournament for me. I'd been only playing really J4s throughout my junior career so far. And that was only like three, maybe. Which for uh, our listeners, just quickly, that's a lower level of the ITF than the Easter Bulls, the International Spring Championships with their J1s. So, yeah, I just kind of just went in hoping to win one round. And I looked at the draw and I, I remember the first week I, I had a pretty good draw, very winnable first round. And honestly, my seed was a winnable second round. So I kind of I kind of just went in thinking, OK, hopefully I can win run round, get 30 points. Like that's more points than any any of the tournaments I've played so far. And maybe that'll jump my ranking. And so I just kind of played loose. And I mean, honestly, my game, it works really well if I'm playing loose, just being able to rip forehands and hit big serves. I mean, it definitely helps me succeed. Um, so as I went through the tournament, I mean, I won the first one beating, I think it was Samir in the final. Um, definitely boosted my confidence going to the second week, uh, just knowing I could play loose still. I mean, I was still basically unranked in the second week. Everyone knew I had been successful, but they're just like, oh, maybe he won't be able to put together a second week like that. And I was kind of thinking that same thing, just like, oh, it's my first time like playing two big tournaments back to back. Maybe like if I lose second round or something like that, it's no big deal. Like you had a great, great week the first week. Um, so I kind of went in again loose, honestly, even though I probably shouldn't have. And I was able to make another deep run. And as you said, I mean, my confidence just absolutely was so big. I mean, I think I'd lost maybe two or three matches going into into the European swing at the French Open. And then I go into the French and I'm playing like I th- uh, maybe the eight, eighth ranked or like 16th ranked best player in the world. So it was kind of like, wow, just in <laughs> such a short time, I was going from playing a J4 to playing a slam and missing school and missing finals and doing all this type of stuff, which honestly, for me, getting to tell my friends back home, like, hey, yeah, I'm going to Europe. Like it just, everyone was so well, like, just like, wow, like that's unbelievable. So it just made me feel incredible. You had some success in doubles this past summer with Daniel Vallejo. I'm curious, was the junior Wimbledon first round match the first time you guys met one another and it was like, hey, we should maybe play doubles? It, I think the first time I'd met him was like a J4 in um, Daytona Beach was the first time I saw him. And we had played like if we had both won, which I had lost to Colton Smith, I think, in that in that semifinal. So I would have played him in the final. But that was like the first time I met him. And there was like a little bit of like, I mean, I talked to him a little bit. I thought he was a pretty funny guy with all the other IMG guys when he was there. So I had a good relationship with him. And then going into Wimby, uh, I mean, both of us, I think, felt like we could beat each other. And then we actually had a battle of a match. Both of us super tight playing our first Wimbledon. So, <laughs> uh, And then this summer, I mean, we he messaged me and saw that we were both playing. I'm just like, sure, like I don't have a doubles partner. We like, let's see how it goes. And then we win eight matches in a row. And then the third week, the third week we were just like, all right, this is like we like we both want to go home. Like we have this <laughs> week. We don't want to stay there just for doubles because I'd lost two first rounds in a row and then stayed for doubles. And so it was it was funny how it worked out. Mm-hmm. Now that's always the fun part. And you know, being on that swing, you mentioned it, being around a lot of peers who I'm sure, much like you, had college aspirations, if not pro aspirations, in tennis. I'm curious what the discussion about college tennis is and when that pathway becomes relevant 
for you? Did you feel like you were always going to go to college at some point? When did that become a part of the discussion? Um, it was always a part of my pathway. Um, mm-hmm. Since I was 14, I was always thinking, yeah, for sure college. I'm for sure going to go four years. Um, just because when I was younger, I didn't really have the the results that I would have needed in order to go pro before college or even during college. Um, so yeah, it was always my plan to go four years, get a degree, hopefully get a championship at whatever school I decided. Um, and honestly, I was probably, I was thinking, man, maybe like, I'll be lucky if I can get some schools outside of the, outside of this California, just knowing that Stanford, Cal, Pepperdine, USC, all those schools are so great. Um, I was like hoping that I could get a scholarship outside. And then really my eyes opened up when actually Jamie, he was the first, first, uh, coach to respond or reach out to me. He had followed me on Instagram when I was, I don't know, 15 or 16. And so I was just like, all right, like they're kind of opened my eyes. So I have potential of going outside and getting to play four years at a big school like Georgia. And then recently this summer was more of like, okay, maybe I can do one or two years and start my call or pro pro career there. Mm-hmm. And a lot of our listeners will hear that and say, follow up on the pro decision right away. I'm going to hold that for a second because to narrow in on that college process, you mentioned you're from Fresno, California. A lot of good options in California. A lot of college tennis history. You mentioned the big names, whether it's UCLA, UC, USC, Cal, Stanford, Pepperdine. A lot of good options there. It's interesting to hear you say, did you want to explore something outside of the state? Did you want to try not living in California? And by the way, to come full circle here, you mentioned the walk to the gym is cold. That's Georgia cold, my friend. Wait till you get to the north, Michigan yeah. <laughs> and Wisconsin. I think national indoors this year are in Chicago. Yes, yes, um, they are. In, yeah. That'll be cold. Uh, yeah. You got nothing until then. But um, did you want to get out of California for a little bit? Um, I think that was always my my hope. I mean, I've seen the STC. Seen. I was. I'm always. I'm a huge college football fan. Okay. Um, so getting getting into the SEC seeing all these huge football games like this i mean upcoming here in georgia's georgia tennessee it's one versus three like you can't get a better game than that um in athens so it was yeah it was always part of my plan getting out of california and realistically when i was younger i was thinking all right that might not be a chance um but now obviously it is so yeah i will always say there's nothing better than being on a college campus when a football team is undefeated. And oh, yeah. <laughs> my senior year, Michigan was 10-0. and We won all of our home games, and it was 2016. Oh, great team. And then we lose at Iowa. Devastating. We should have beaten Ohio State in overtime. There was that he was short by whatever. Um, it's got to be fun to be on a college campus for the semester. And, you know, this goes full circle here. You do decide to come a semester early. You decide to redshirt that first semester. Why was that the choice you make? Uh, well, firstly, going back about the college football, my first day on campus last semester was the national championship. So <laughs> you can't get a better day of football, a better night uh, on your first day of school than than last that than earlier this year. January. Well, let's just so. interject again. I had a friendly wager with Manny Diaz and Jamie Hunt that I would send them <laughs> some Michigan gear and I had some Georgia stuff and winner of our semifinal had to wear said gear and put it out publicly. And God, did you guys, it was a beatdown. Hey, it's that just, was embarrassing. That I mean, embarrassing when you yet. have a six, eight tight end who <laughs> moves like Calvin Johnson, it's just like, yeah, I, I, we didn't have the linebackers. Um, For sure. I'll tell you what, this year's teams though, pretty, pretty good. Um, anyways, 
full circle. That's a not the worst first day. <laughs> it sounds like that was not the reason for your decision, but a nice side oh. benefit. Yeah, it was definitely a side benefit. But the, <laughs> the actual decision kind of came after Orange Bowl. Um, I had lost first round in Orange Bowl, just kind of like the end of the year, honestly. Once I got into the slams, I had only won about, I think, one or two matches in, in ITF. So really was not getting the results like I was earlier in the year. Um, and I felt like that was kind of contributed to uh, just there wasn't many guys for me in Fresno to be able to practice with. The Fresno State men's team had been cut the year in my junior year of high school, so there was no longer those guys for me to practice with every single day, meaning that Luke Shields, who is now at Boise State, um, when he was at Fresno State, he would be kind of like my my coach that I was working with when Brad Stein was gone traveling with um, with Tommy Paul. So basically all those guys left. Brad was still traveling with Tommy Paul and it really made it difficult for me to get a consistent practice. Um, so that was kind of a small part of it. Like, I mean, you can work out as much as you want, but making balls in the court does not come from working out and getting just lifting. So I got to, I got to orange bowl. I was playing there. I was doing great. I was up five, one in the third and ended up losing the match. And me and Jamie kind of were like, Whoa, like that, where'd that come from? I was just playing great. And then it just kind of went away. And so me and him sat down really that next day and kind of talked about things and seeing what would happen if I did come early. And then me and my mom talked about it a little bit also that night. And she was kind of, she kind of broke down in, in uh, tears a little bit, just like, all right, I'm gonna have to let you go. Like, is that what's going to have to happen? And I, yeah, I was kind of just like, yeah, mom, like it's, it's time for me to, to go to Georgia if it's the best for my, for my development. And she, she completely understood. And basically Georgia did so much for me, getting me here early. Um, but yeah, it was just basically getting to Georgia to be able to practice and do all those things rather than actually compete. So, yeah, no, it's fascinating to hear. So you used to practice with the Fresno team. Yes. Yes. That, I, that has to help the development. I mean, sure. when, when did that start? What, like 14, 13? Yeah, I was about, I think I started when I was 13 with some of the with some of the lower guys in the lineup, just getting to hit balls and honestly get into that college routine, just like doing the stretching and stuff after practice, the warming up, doing all those types of things kind of got me ready for it. And then as I got older, I started practicing with more of the guys, starting working with Luke and doing all those types of things. Yeah, no, that's fascinating. It explains why you have, dare I say, a mature game and, you know, a question on every college tennis fan's mind last year as you make the Vero Beach final and obviously given the summer that you had is that decision to redshirt. Why was training not playing the right decision for you that first semester? I I really wanted to be able to play the slams again. Um, okay. So I knew that in order to do that, I would have had to defend 600 points in March, <laughs> yeah. which that's basically – middle of sec season so that means i would have missed playing florida south carolina tennessee kentucky like it just honestly for for the team it wouldn't have done us any good if i was wasting the year of eligibility and missing the biggest matches of the year just to go play some junior slams um and so i felt like all right like as long as i'm getting to be in the culture kind of trying to influence a little bit like i'm not like I'm ahead of anyone or anything like that, but just playing for a bigger thing that would help a little bit in the locker room, even though we had such great leaders and Tristan McCormick and Hamish Stewart and some other guys that are now fifth years. But um, 
yeah, it was, I mean, it was a hard decision, redshirting, just sitting on the sidelines, watching, knowing that I could be playing and helping the team. But in the end, I felt like with my development, getting to play those tournaments, getting to play futures whenever I wanted was just the best for me. Mm -hmm. And I want to ask about all of that pro success, but you know, this was part of my introduction. I brought up, you are the 2022 ITA All-American Men's Singles Champ. You've obviously had a very good fall. Um, I'm curious, you know, watching the team stumble in the round of 32, and I think that's the only adjective I can safely use against Florida State. No disrespect to that Florida State team, but that's not the standard for Georgia men's tennis. Does that light a little fuel under you going into May and, you know, the summer you had? I I mean, I I don't want to directly attribute it to that loss but again that fuel the start we've seen and you know these past three four months from you yeah I mean for sure I, I remember kind of after that match walking into the locker room and seeing everyone kind of just like shocked uh that we had lost that match 4-3 in that heartbreaker and then honestly getting to sitting down next to Trent on on the bench after he had after he lost that match was definitely a tough moment for all of us um and then obviously seeing our our fifth years lead Tristan with his knee um, a little bit injured. Same with Hamish later, just in the individual tournament. And then a few guys transferring. It was a tough moment for sure. And that I remember sitting in there definitely fueled, ready for for the summer upcoming. Just showing that there was some new some new life coming into the UGA program. Um, but also that when I got to All Americans, I remember playing Antoine, the F- FSU guy kind of going in there with the thought of like, all right, we, I got to take this guy down just because he took us down last year. Um, so that definitely fueled me up for for that match. And that was a really tough match, high level, high level one. Um, so there's definitely that loss fueled me throughout the summer and now through the fall. Yeah, you had a lot of success at the ITF level. How would you compare the All-American draw to some of the futures draws you played? I know you dropped only the one set against FSU. I want to get back to that match momentarily. But just in general, I'm curious how the summer prepared you for that All-American event. Um, I feel like, honestly, that All-American event has basically the same level as a 15K or 25K. Um, A lot of guys there, I mean, my first round, Hunter Heck, I saw him in Champaign at the 25K um my second round de jong i mean i'm sh- i i didn't see him in any futures in the united states but i'm sure he was playing a ton um in europe uh antoine obviously was ranked 400 or so two years ago something like that so i mean obviously there's a bunch of guys that are high ranked it's a pretty high level i mean stefan i saw him in the 25k final in champagne um so the, it's basically the same level draw it's just a little bit bigger and there might be a few few rounds where qualifiers come in but even the qualifying draw you see cm Woldeep, who I, I played doubles with him in san diego and he he won some matches in the 15k there so it's honestly it's a tough draw it's just based on who's playing well yeah it's incredible you see the parody and you did you know again when you played distonic twice in the summer you, you know you're fortunate enough to get through those matches both times are you thinking like hey that's not the worst thing in the world heading into this college fall, or are you pretty focused on the pro event at the time? Um, I was pretty focused on the, yeah. the pro event at the time. Yeah, it makes sense. That's why you have success. You stay in the moment. But, um, you know, again, looking for you and your game in particular, I want to geek out a little bit. And I know you mentioned earlier you're comfortable when you can hit the big first serve, hit the big first forehand. How do you feel those weapons have, as you've, 
gone about, you know, across the levels, highest levels of the juniors, highest levels of college tennis now, high, you know, the ITF 15, 25K events that you've played. How do you feel those strengths translate to these to this level of event? Do you feel pretty comfortable with those weapons? Absolutely. I mean, I feel like in order to transition into that pro level, you have to be able to have weapons. And with me having these weapons that can kind of blow guys off the court consistently, um, it will absolutely help me transition. I know like since I got here in in the spring, Jamie and, and Manny have really helped me develop the consistency on it. Just really not bailing out on those shots, still being able to go big, but consistently making them going with percentages where when I was in juniors, I would still be able to blow guys off the court, but I wasn't really doing it as consistently. I was going for the un, the lower percentage shots. And of course I'll make them a few times, but in the big scheme of things, it's like in order to transition, you have to be able to consistently do that big percentages and just kind of stun these guys. So they can't really do the same to you. Yeah. And to hear you say that, you know, on various podcasts, when discussing your game, I've said the, the, the game I see is Jack sock in that, you just have one of those shoulders where it's just like the serve, it does come a little bit easier. You can hit the big kick wide to open up the court for yourself. You do have the easy swing to generate power with the first forehand. You know, you talk about harnessing, you know, again, uh, using those weapons to your advantage so that you are able to play on your tempo as you're developing right now and working on again making your transition through these different levels are you focusing i mean i'm sure you're focusing on all aspects of your game but how critical is it to focus on those two things that serve and that first forehand you know is that is that the central focus in terms of your development right now yeah as of right now i mean we're kind of talking about trying to add mphs on the serve first and second making it so the second serve is also still a weapon um first serve obviously making it higher percentage which i struggled with a little bit through the summer and those matches i would lose it would just kind of disappear a little bit having to rely a lot on the second serve which even though i have a lot of confidence in the second serve just as you transition you can't rely on that second serve to win you games and win you matches um so that's definitely two big portions of my of my development and then obviously making my forehand even more of a shield just where or i mean more of a sword um where i can just dictate points through from anywhere in the court, moving up, going backwards, just getting neutral, whatever. Um, and then also, I mean, we're working a lot on my back end, just being able to to make it more of a shield, not as unreliable where I'm missing it middle and letting guys get forehands from the middle of the court. Just being able to do more on that side, whether it's bunting it down the line and looking for someone to have to hit up to my forehand or just forcing them to be in that backhand side of the court until I can, can find a forehand myself. Yeah. It's interesting to hear you say that because watching your game, I get why you want to find forehands from all positions of the court. If I had your forehand, I'd want to hit it pretty frequently as well. That said, I don't feel like you have a bad backhand. And I'm curious, as you're positioning yourself moving forward, I mean, a lot of guys hit a lot of big balls, right? It's not easy to find forehands at every opportunity. What is your comfort level on that backhand wing? I'm just curious how you see that shot. I mean, I'm a lot more comfortable with it, Okay. <laughs> um, especially on the hard court. I'm much more comfortable through the after coming from the French Open. We we did a lot of adjusting on it just on the preparation, the way my hands are held. So I've definitely in the last two months gained a lot of confidence in it, being a lot more solid, just 
on the run, whatever, even if I'm like returning, especially feels super comfortable on that side. Um, I'm not really too worried about it. I know it won't break down. I almost feel like it's a bit more reliable than my forehand. I know. Cause I, I mean, obviously I'm not going for as big as shots, so it'll be a bit more solid in tighter moments of the match, but I just know that I just know my forehand will be bigger than whoever else's forehand I'm playing. So as long as I can find it, then, then I'll just keep doing that. It's a very good mentality. If I can throw one more observation at you, I feel like you like coming forward. Are you yes, comfortable volume? Is that fair? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And so, again, how have you worked? That's interesting to hear you say going on clay, going on different surfaces. How has doing that helped you work on moving forward? Um, I mean, I haven't played much on grass. I have a very bad record <laughs> sure. on grass, too. Yeah, we're um, going to throw that. That doesn't even count. So we're going to throw that one away. But the clay on... Uh, um, it's definitely helped me find my find my forehand a bit more, honestly. Just finding mm-hmm. being able to, with the slower ball get off to the left, being able to dictate from there. And then as I'm seeing, I mean, so many more guys are playing further back in the court on the clay, even on the hard a bit more too. Um, with guys playing so far back, it's really giving me so much time to get up to the net, give a high heavy ball to the to their backhand, and forcing them to do something. Which I know at the junior level, I mean, not as many guys are that comfortable at the with the high backhands. Um, and I haven't really played many futures on clay. I think it's just one or two. Um, so, I mean, it's definitely helped me think about coming forward, doing different things I wouldn't really do, but I mean, I still just stay, stick to the hard. <laughs> no, for sure. And I'll say this, a lot of 40, 30 ad side, kick wide, serve and volley. It's a great play. Absolutely. And I, I love when you do it. I mean, again, much lesser scale. That was my favorite play, by the way. You're listed like 6-1 in the things I have seen. I don't think that's the case anymore. I feel like there's been a little bit of a growth spurt. I think there may have been maybe 6-2.5 roughly. Yeah, um, I can tell on the kick. There's There might be a little bit there. Sometimes you have to be humble about it because I feel like <laughs> it's the worst when someone's just like, oh, you're totally not that height. So I might as well under undersell it and then show up a bit bigger than say I'm much bigger than I actually am. That's fair. What led to the shaving of the head? Um, I totally wanted to shave my head. <laughs> <laughs> no, it, I mean, there's just so, I mean, as you know, there's so much tradition through UGA. So when I see some other guys have done it, I'm just like, all right, that's, I'm going to be that guy. I'm going to be part of the team. I'm not going to really sell myself short and think I'm better than anyone. So I'm going to do what everyone else does it. And honestly, I love the shaved head. Like I, the first few days were a bit rough. Some people I, that I was close with, I would like tap on the shoulder and be like, hey, like, how are you? And they're just like looking at me like, who the hell are you? And but now now that it's grown out a bit, I'm a lot more comfortable and confident in it. And honestly, it's so nice getting to wake up and just be like, all right, I'm walking like I'm fine. I don't need to have to do anything. I'm taking a shower if I'm late for something. It's like, all right, I'm good to go. I just can dry my head quickly. So honestly, I'm fine with it. Maybe in January, you'll see another one, another head shaving. But we're not sure. No, the line's even. That's all that matters right now is, you yeah. know, there's hair everywhere. And, yeah, that's <laughs> hilarious. It's much more convenient. It's good for on the go. Um, exactly. You talk about your team, the tradition. Podcast listeners can't see this, but there's a Georgia flag in the background there. You know, you look at the list of people who have won the ITL American title in Georgia program history. Helgeson, Isner, Parker, Pernfors. What does it mean to you to capture that title and join that list of obviously esteemed former Georgia men's tennis players? 
it's it's i honestly feel incredible getting to join those guys i mean i remember at the us open i got to talk to john a little bit just getting to associate with guys that are so well known um in the tennis world it's like it really is like wow like you really it opened my eyes a bit more to how big the georgia tradition how how everyone knows it just the the success that's been in the georgia program um which i actually i i got the the banner from from all americans with all the past winners so getting to see all those georgia guys on there really made me feel like i was even more of a, a bulldog even as a freshman than i than i actually am mm-hmm. now it's i'm just curious tougher match because first time since 1996 two teammates face off in the final henning or antoine fsu what's the tougher match I, I I think Henning, honestly, I feel yeah. it, there was a lot like going into the match. I, I didn't really show it. I don't I don't think at least with any of any of the guys or coaches or anything like that. But I was nervous going into it, knowing that two weeks before he had absolutely waxed me one and two. So <laughs> I was a little bit nervous going into it. And I mean, honestly, I mean, there was four or five juice points in the first set. So it could have just as easily gone his way. <laughs> so I was I was super nervous going into it it and then but once i got out there i was kind of like all right this is like like this is just another match it's not my teammate i just gotta run through him so yeah no it it was incredible to see and obviously uh sets a tone for what georgia may be able to accomplish this season and again i'm reserving the right to bring you back on the show but just two more questions here for you before i let you go As you look at this Georgia Bulldog team, obviously you bring back Trent, you bring back Phil, you bring back Eric, you have yourself stepping into the lineup, all these uh, different faces still around. You know, what is the tone right now in Athens? What is this team hoping to accomplish here this season? I mean, obviously a championship. I think I said Eric, by the way, I meant Blake. I meant Blake. Yes, yes. I knew what you meant. Um, Yeah. Obviously we're talking about a championship. Um, but honestly, I feel like there's a different, different type of swag around the team compared to last year. Um, for so many years, it's been like the Georgia program has been Trent, Blake, um, Phil, like everyone's thought of the program as those three guys. Um, so now getting to join those guys, we have a few more additions like Theodore Juska from Clemson, um, Miguel and Thomas are both playing really well right now. I think, I think there's a lot of talk around Georgia tennis, especially with me and me and Phil doing so well at all Americans, um, Trent's. Trent's feeling great. I mean, seeing him at practice, he's a, he's like a, he's just locked in a bit more than last year. There's just a different sense of urgency with him. Um, so I'm really appreciating that from all the guys. And then there's, yeah, but like I said, there's just a different feeling with, with this team compared to, compared to last year's where we all feel like there could be something really scary with whoever we play that whoever we play where we can kind of be beat badly. Yeah, no, it's going to be fun to watch your team. And, you know, my final question for you as you look at the next two months, obviously, as we round out 2022, but your first full college tennis dual match season, you know, what do you want to accomplish during this opening semester? And obviously, we go for full circle here. You now know you've won a couple of pro titles. You see your top 500 in the world, what's out there on the pro tour. That's still to come, obviously. But as you look at the next six months, what is it that you want to accomplish? Obviously, I mean, big picture, like my shooting way off into the distance. I'd like to try and keep my record kind of going for Stevie Johnson. I mean, I know that's shooting way out there, but I, I know, I, I mean, I've started it. There's, you got to start somewhere. So, I mean, that, that's big picture. But honestly, going into the season a bit more realistically is just kind of being not really the guy for Georgia, but really the guy in the SEC. 
I mean, there's, I know there's a bunch of them. I mean, Diallo, Ayani as well. Um, Monday, there's, there's a bunch of guys that are incredible in the SEC. So it'll be a tough task, but big, or I guess in a shorter goal right there is just kind of being the guy, beating those guys consistently showing that all Americans, even though it was the fall and there wasn't quite as many people there that I can still back up those results against these guys that are taking the fall off, doing all these challengers and doing all that type of stuff. Yeah, I love to hear it. And certainly if anyone was paying attention, they saw the success you had. And we at Cracked Rackets had a front row seat to a lot of it, whether it was at the SoCal Pro Circuit, whether it was obviously the All-American run. It's been a lot of Ethan Quinn in my life. And I'll tell you what, I've always enjoyed watching these matches. I enjoy the various hairstyles as well. And I appreciate you taking the time to join us today. I'll throw one last bonus. Since you do have a life outside of tennis, when not on the tennis court, what is Ethan Quinn doing? Um, gosh, that's a good question. A lot of sleeping. That's, that's <laughs> yeah, because you're still growing. I, I'm telling you, my friend, I was 17 going into college. I used to like when it got icy in Michigan, I fell so frequently my sophomore year because I was just I was growing. I was like, yeah. it's not great. Yeah. But I mean, yeah, definitely sleeping is one of them. Um, a lot of the times I like I mean, I like to spend a lot of alone time. I'm not going to lie. Just sure. doing all my type of stuff, getting coffee in some of the various local coffee places here, um, doing all that type of stuff, kind of getting my own work done that I, that I'm interested in. Um, but then spending time with a lot of my close friends here, um, just coming early, like, like last year, I built so many good relationships coming into the fall that it's made it really easy for me just to, Hey, like, what are you doing tonight? Like, do you want to hang out? Do you want to go get some frozen custard or whatever like that? Um, just doing that type of stuff. So kind of just being a typical chill, chill person. I don't need to go see that downtown scene of Athens. I know it's, it's unbelievable, but, there's a lot of distractions there too. Yeah, fair enough. And again, that balance is probably what has led to all of these success. Well, Ethan Quinn, again, I'm reserving the right to bring you back on this show. Don't be a stranger. Good luck to you and the Bulldogs this season on the tennis court, not on the football field. We can take a Michigan victory this season, but always a pleasure getting the chance to chat and uh, good luck for the rest of obviously this year and throughout the 2023 season. Thank you. I appreciate it and hoping to come back on the show sometime soon. Yeah, of course. Take care, my friend. Thank you. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hope all of you enjoyed my conversation with ITA All-American men's singles champ and rising UGA redshirt freshman Ethan Quinn. A massive thank you to Ethan for taking the time to chat. I imagine this will not be the last time. Hopefully, we have him on this show moving forward. And again, it takes two seconds of watching Ethan to see where the success is going to come on the court. I think now we all understand why he continues to have success off of it as well. With that said, of course, again, wishing Ethan 
Ethan and the UGA Bulldogs' success throughout the course of the 2023 season. And with that in mind, it's almost time, folks. We're getting ready to kick off our coverage of the 2023 Division I men's and women's college tennis seasons. We'll have preview content for all of you listeners. We'll have our preseason top 10. We'll bring in the experts, Chris, Matt, Jay, do all the fun we like to do. We'll talk to all the various players out there as well, maybe representatives, coaches from each team. We're going to have fun. We're going to switch things up this offseason as we all get amped for another fabulous year of college tennis. Of course, also the plan to speak to all of these 2022 ITA All-American champions. So should have three more fun episodes for all of you listeners this week. Be on the lookout for that. Be on the lookout of our for our coverage of the 2022 Fall National Championships as well. The action in Barnes, San Diego coming up next week, folks, and we'll have it all for you on our Cracked Rackets YouTube channel. Of course, with that in mind, a shout out as always to our super producer, Daniel Westoff. A of it, editing job to do, and as always, uh, makes everything possible here at CRA. Thank you as well to our friends at Swing Vision. Remember to learn everything about all the latest artificial intelligence technology developments within the sport of tennis. Just download that Swing Vision app today. Use our promo code CRACK20 to let them know we sent you there. With that said, for the fantastic Ethan Quinn, our super producer, Daniel Westoff, our friends at Swing Vision from all of us here at both Crack Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network, I'm your host, Alex Gruskin, you know what we say. You've been listening to another edition of the Cracked Interviews Podcast. Stay safe, stay healthy. Talk to you all soon. Thanks, everyone. Thanks, everyone.